0: Democrats worry about how to cancel Republicans, while Republicans worry about being canceled. Amazon engages in digital book burning, and Andrew Cuomo's career falls apart. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't let big tech track what you do. Anonymize your web browsing at expressvpn.com. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, reminder, we are now at the mercy of one-party control. We have a Joe Biden agenda driven by tax and spend economics. There's a talk about massive inflation. There's talk about spending beyond the capacity of the United States GDP. I don't need to get into the social ramifications, but fiscally, you can expect compounded growth of the national debt and the systematic devaluation of the United States dollar over time. So there really is only one question. What are you doing right now to protect your savings and your retirement? Now, I know the people at Birch Gold. I trust the people at Birch Gold. I've been working with the people at Birch Gold for literally years at this point. And Birch Gold Group is your answer when it comes to diversifying into an asset that is not going to devalue over time. Birch Gold Group will help you diversify a portion of your savings in IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by gold and silver. They're the premier precious metals IRA company in the United States with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. There is inflation coming. We all know it. Gold is your hedge. Text BEN to 474747 for your free information kit on precious metals IRA or... To speak with a virtual representative today, ask all your questions, get them answered, and then invest a little bit, at least a little bit, into diversifying into precious metals. Time is running out. You can protect your savings right now. Text BEN to 474747 to get started. Okay, so I want to begin today with a poll that came out via our friends over at Echelon Insights. That's Kristen Soltis Anderson, the pollster. And this is kind of a fascinating poll because it asks Republicans and Democrats what they think are the biggest problems facing the United States? What are the biggest problems? Of all the problems facing the United States, which ones are the biggest? And this explains where the future of the culture war is going. Because the reality is that we cannot have a country together If half of the country would like for the other half of the country to just go away, or if half of the country sees the other half of the country as a true and ever-present threat to their liberties, or if it turns out that some people actually are a true and ever-present threat to their liberties. So let's look at the differences between how Republicans and Democrats view the world when it comes to the biggest threats to the country. So we begin with our friends on the left. So the question was, how concerned are you, if at all, that the following are a problem for the country? And this was asked of Democrats and leaning Democratic voters. Here were their top priorities. Here are their top priorities, okay? Number one, number one with a bullet, Donald Trump supporters. Donald Trump supporters were the number one top worry of Democrats. Okay, not COVID-19, not healthcare, not the economy. Donald Trump supporters, that was the number one worry. So by the way, a bigger worry than white nationalism or gun violence or discrimination the biggest worry was Donald Trump supporters because those people are the enemy. According to this poll, 82% of Democrats and lean Democrats say that they are extremely concerned or very concerned about Donald Trump supporters. 82%. It is the single most popular view among Democrats in terms of what is your big concern with the country. Donald Trump supporters. Another 10%, by the way, are somewhat concerned. Only 7% say they are not very or not at all concerned. That means 92% of Democrats say they are concerned about the fact that anybody supported Donald Trump. Remember, 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. A huge number of those people voted for Donald Trump because they didn't want to vote for the radical policies of the left. Okay, number two on the list for Democrats was white nationalism. Now, let's be real about this. The actual number of white nationalists in America is very, very small. White nationalism is the belief that America should be a whites-only country, that it should be an ethno-state that there is no place for minorities in American life. The number of those people in American society is exceedingly low. I mean, we are talking maybe tens of thousands of people, maybe at the upper end. Okay, we are not talking hundreds of thousands of people. We are certainly not talking millions of people. We're certainly not talking tens of millions of people. That is the number two worry of Democrats, according to the Session Insights poll. 79% of Democrats say they're extremely or very concerned about white nationalism. Another 11% say they are somewhat concerned about white nationalism. So the top two priorities are Trump supporters and white nationalism. So this tells you a couple of things right off the bat. One, the media narrative is exceedingly strong with these folks, people at CNN and MSNBC who keep saying over and over and over that Donald Trump is evil and that his supporters are also evil. And who keep saying that white nationalism is a true threat to American democracy, which by the way, it is ideologically a threat because everything can be ideologically a threat, but practically speaking, suggesting that maybe, maybe 10,000 people are a true threat to to American democracy across the land is just an exaggeration of the nature of the threat. If you want to say that you're worried about, you know, people committing acts of violence and people committing acts of terror in the name of white supremacy, I I would say that that is a fear that is not entirely unjustified because we have seen those sorts of acts of terror. We've seen it against the Jewish community. I've personally, the FBI has personally arrested a white supremacist for targeting my family. So I totally get that. But the number two worry in the country uh, overall Is white nationalism? Okay, three, is systemic racism, which is a term that most people can't even define. They don't even know what systemic racism means. They just think systemic racism means racism. So they are asked in a poll, is racism a concern? And they know that the answer is supposed to be yes. Because if you say no... Then Democrats immediately say and members of the media immediately say, well, that's because you don't take racism seriously. So the way that you show the pollsters that you take racism seriously is to say that systemic racism is a serious problem for the country. But Most people don't understand that when they say systemic racism, the people who created that term and who promulgate that term mean something very specific. They mean that the institutions of American life are rife with racism, that they are built in order to achieve racism, and that if you stand in favor of any of those systems, then you are part of the problem. The way you can tell people don't understand this, by the way, is that according to this poll, some 77 percent of Democrats and lean Democrats say that they are extremely or very concerned about systemic racism. But only 39 percent say they are extremely or very concerned about capitalism. Right? People on the left who actually understand what the term systemic racism means, 100 percent of them believe that capitalism and systemic racism are intertwined. So you can see, because most Democrats don't actually believe that, that they don't even understand what they're saying when they say that they believe that systemic racism is a serious problem for the country. Okay, here are their other top priorities. Gun violence, Americans lacking health coverage, domestic terrorism, police brutality, discrimination against gay Americans, 59% say they're deeply worried about that, another 27% say they're somewhat worried, sexism, voter suppression, student debt, and capitalism. Okay, so the good news here is that even among Democrats, they're not super concerned about capitalism. So sort of the Bernie Sanders take, which is that we are all socialists now, is not true. Most Democrats are not deeply worried about capitalism. What most Democrats really are worried about is castigation of their neighbors as white nationalist evildoers. And that is the narrative that is promoted. It has been promoted for years now, which is that if people disagree with Democrats, it is probably because they are, quote unquote, Donald Trump supporters or white nationalists. So those are the top concerns for Democrats. Now we get to the top concerns. For Republicans. And what you'll see is that Democrats' top concerns, Democrats' top concerns, have to do with how much they hate fellow Americans who don't vote like they do, and how they castigate many of those people with terms that do not apply. And how they castigate a system with a term they don't even understand. Here are the top concerns for Republicans. Okay, illegal immigration is the top concern for Republicans. 80, 81% of Republicans say that they are extremely or very concerned about illegal immigration. 79% say they are extremely or very concerned about lack of support for the police. 77% say that they are very concerned about high taxes. Notice, the top three, none of them have to do with castigation of the other side. Their actual policy preferences. Go back to the Democrat side for a second. If you go back to the Democrat side, what you will see is that the Democrat side, their top three are castigation of people on the other side of the aisle. Donald Trump supporters, white nationalism, which again, people don't understand, that white nationalism is an actual specific ideology, not just a term that you throw at people you don't like. And systemic racism, which is an attempt to label people on the other side, advocates of racism, right? The top three are really one on the Democratic side, which is people I don't like are Donald Trump supporters slash white nationalists slash advocates for systemic racism. The top things that Republicans are worried about are actual policies like illegal immigration or lack of support for the police or high taxes. Liberal bias in the mainstream media, 75%. 75% of Republicans say that they are deeply concerned about that. General moral decline of the country, 74%. Socialism, 73%. Antifa violence, 71%. China, 70%. Legal abortion in the third trimester, 65%. Election fraud, it's 64%. Tech company censorship, 64%. And discrimination against Christians, 57%. So here is the thing. Republicans are mostly worried about policy and Democrats are mostly worried about Republicans. Right. That is what you come away with when you look at this polling data. And one of the things that's kind of fascinating about the poll is that the poll also shows how concerned Republicans are about cancel culture. Okay, when it comes to the number of Republicans who are concerned about cancel culture, there's a vast gap between Democrats and Republicans. So according to this polling data, Republicans, about 48 percent of Republicans say that they are extremely or very concerned about cancel culture. Right, they're very concerned that they're going to be canceled, that, they're going to be, that people are going to come after them. This is why liberal bias in the mainstream media clocks in at number four on that Republican worries chart, right? 75% of Republicans say they are deeply worried about liberal bias in the mainstream media. How many Democrats are worried about cancel culture? 23%. Why? Because they know they're not the ones who are going to get canceled. Okay, you cannot have a country when half the country believes that the other half of the country is inherently evil. Not that they're wrong, Not that they back bad policies, not that they disagree with you about illegal immigration or the police or high taxes, not that they disagree with you about economics, but they are actually, the people themselves are the worry. I mean, that's insanity. And it's not just insanity, it's dangerous. Because once you start to see the people who vote differently from you as the actual problem, I don't know how you see those people as friends and neighbors anymore. As we break down in terms of community and as we see the people next door, not as people who may differ with us on some important fundamental policy considerations, but people who are utterly unlike you in any way because they support a different candidate. How do you share a church with those people? How do you go to school? with the, How do your kids become friends? How does any of that work? How do you share a society with people that you actually believe are the worst of the worst? That poll stat showing the Democrats are mo- of all the priorities. The one that unifies the most is hatred for Donald Trump supporters and fear of Donald Trump supporters is insanity. It's absolute crazy towns, but it is promulgated by a media that is firmly fixed on trying to get rid of people that they disagree with. What we have right now is an advocacy media that exists on the left masquerading as an objective media. And we have millions and millions and millions of people who watch that and take it seriously. And it has an impact on a wide variety of behaviors. when you change the moral code of a country, When you renormalize an entire moral code of a country, you end up with some pretty wild behaviors. And the media continue to foster this every single day. Republicans are correctly fearful of cancel culture because the left does want them canceled. They are worried that they even exist. Notice something that is not on the GOP list at all, at all, Joe Biden supporters. It's not on the list. Donald Trump supporters is number one on the Democratic list. And white nationalism is number two. White nationalism, again, evil. Also, a tiny percentage of the population. The the reason that the people on the left believe that white nationalism is a deep and abiding threat to the nature of the country is because they conflate the first two. They think that Donald Trump supporters are white nationalists. And they think that because every single time the Democrat media complex has mentioned the January 6th riots, they have said a white nationalist uprising at the behest of Donald Trump. Every single time, essentially. That has an impact on how people think. The polarization that is happening in this country right now, and it is happening with extraordinary rapidity, that polarization is almost entirely the creation of a media elite who believe themselves to be part of a new ruling class who get to dictate to you how to live. They know better than you how to live. And if you agree with them, then you are one of the elect. And if you disagree with them, then you are a member of the damned. This starts, by the way, at our universities. It's more on this in just one moment. First, You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past that can sometimes slow your connection, but ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN, really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash ben, expressvpn.com slash ben to learn more. There's an article in the New York Times called Inside a Battle Over Race, Class, and Power at Smith College. And this is just indicative of how our society really works because colleges are basically just a microcosm a slightly more extreme microcosm of what's happening in corporate America, of what is happening even in the scientific community, the shutdown of science that is currently happening in the publishing community. The war on openness of ideas is ongoing and dangerous. So according to the New York Times, in midsummer of 2018, Umu Knut, a black student at Smith College, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the name, recounted a distressing American tale. She was eating lunch in a dorm lounge when a janitor and a campus police officer walked over and asked her what she was doing there. The officer, who could have been carrying a lethal weapon, left her near meltdown, Ms. Canute wrote on Facebook, saying that this encounter continued a year-long pattern of harassment at Smith. All I did was be black, Ms. Canute wrote. It's outrageous that some people question my being at Smith College and my existence overall as a woman of color. The college's president, Kathleen McCartney, offered profuse apologies and put the the janitor on paid leave. The janitor. This painful incident reminds us of the ongoing legacy of racism and bias, the president wrote, in which people of color are targeted simply while going about the business of their ordinary lives. The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, picked up the story of a young female student harassed by white workers. The ACLU, which took the student's case, said she was profiled for eating while black. Less attention was paid three months later when a law firm hired by Smith College to investigate the episode found no persuasive evidence of bias. Oh, interesting, less attention was paid. This is in the New York Times. Note, this happened, again, in midsummer of 2018. The date of this article, the one I'm reading right now, is February 24th, 2021. And yet we knew three months later that the story was bullcrap. Did the New York Times print a retraction? Of course not. Did the New York Times go back and report the story? Of course not. Did CNN do that? Did the Washington Post do that? No, because they are dedicated to the narrative that America is a place of deep and abiding racism. And that anybody who opposes that narrative is in fact, opposing the narrative is itself a sign that you are racist. Opposing the narrative, suggesting that America is not systemically racist, that America is a land of liberty, filled with decent people, that that is a sign that you are a bigot. Right? You're probably one of those Trump supporters. According to the New York Times, less attention was paid three months later when a law firm hired by Smith College to investigate the episode found no persuasive evidence of bias. Ms. Canute was determined to have eaten in a deserted dorm that had been closed for the summer. The janitor had been encouraged to notify security if he saw unauthorized people there. The officer, like all campus police, was unarmed. So every single element of the story was a lie. Every single one. This person insisted in eating in a deserted dorm hall that was supposed to be closed. The janitor had been instructed to tell people if somebody tried to eat in there, and the officer was unarmed. And according to this woman's story, she went to eat in like a normal dorm hall. The janitor profiled her for being black, and an armed officer came and threatened her. So every element was a lie. Smith College officials emphasized reconciliation and healing after the incident. In the months to come, they announced a raft of anti-bias training for all staff, a revamped and more sensitive campus police force, and the creation of dormitories, as demanded by Ms. Canute and her ACLU lawyer, set aside for black students and other students of color. By the way, if you want just a case study in the perversion of liberalism into hardcore leftists, just take a look at the ACLU. The ACLU used to be the people who suggested that, yes, we hate the KKK, but they have a right to march through the Jewish areas of Skokie. Now the ACLU are the people who are like, you know what? We should separate dorm rooms for the sensitivity of black students and make sure that we have segregated dorm facilities. The ACLU are the people who say that they will not defend, they they literally say this, they will not defend civil liberties if those civil liberties come into conflict with higher priorities of sensitivity. They're literally the opposite of a civil liberties union at this point. It demonstrates the shift from liberalism to leftism and how you leave behind all of the priorities you used to hold so long as you are in the search for utopia. According to the New York Times, they did not offer any public apology or amends to the workers whose lives were gravely disrupted by the student's accusation. This is a tale of how race, class, and power collided at the elite 145-year-old liberal arts college where tuition, room, and board top $78,000 a year and where the employees who keep the school running often come from working-class enclaves beyond the school's elegant wrought iron gates. The story highlights the tensions between a student's deeply felt sense of personal truth and the facts that are at odds with it. My God, the way that the New York Times phrases that. The story highlights the tension between a deeply felt sense of personal truth and facts that are at odds with it? Okay, translate that over to the QAnon folks and see if the New York Times goes along with that. You know, there are people who have a deeply felt sense of personal truth about the QAnon conspiracy theory, but there are facts at odds with it. And there's tension there. Or is it that you're completely wrong and lying and you believe a bunch of horse crap and there are facts that disprove this, which makes you a liar, a liar, because facts exist in real life. And the New York Times reported the lie for years. And only three years later, are they coming back around? They're like, well, you know, I guess that, you know, there is a tension between your personal truth and actual facts. These tensions, says the New York Times, come at a time when few in the Smith community feel comfortable publicly questioning liberal orthodoxy on race and identity. And some professors worry the administration is too deferential, so it's increasingly emboldened students. Right, because why would you question the liberal orthodoxy? if you If you question liberal orthodoxy, then you become one of the people with a target on your back. James Miller, econ professor at Smith, says, my perception is if you're on the wrong side of issues of identity politics, you're not just mistaken, you're evil. Correct. Correct. And that perception has spread throughout the liberal community, which is why you see that stat that the highest percentage of any percentage of Democrats who believe that there's a problem, believe that the problem is Trump supporters and white nationalism. In an interview, Ms. McCartney said that Ms. Knut's encounter with the campus staff was part of a spate of cases of living while black harassment across the nation. There was, she noted, great pressure to act. We always try to show compassion for everyone involved, well, not, um, not the janitor. The janitor who's probably making 20 grand a year. That guy got in serious trouble for doing nothing wrong. Faculty members pointed to a pattern they say reflects the college's growing timidity in the face of allegations from students, especially around the issue of race and ethnicity. In 2016, students denounced faculty at Smith's social work program as racist after some professors questioned whether admission standards for the program had been lowered, and this was affecting the quality of the fieldwork. Dennis Meals, one of the professors they decried, left the school long after, because you're not even allowed to point out that when you put in place affirmative action programs, it lowers the standards of admission. That is what affirmative action programs are deliberately designed to do. If people had to meet the exact same standard, you wouldn't have to have affirmative action programs. Affirmative action programs are des- deliberately designed to lower standards through the soft bigotry of low expectations in order to achieve the proper racial balance. But if you point that out, probably you should, ha- you should be forced to leave because looking truth directly in the face is not allowed. Then in the autumn of 2019, the Religious Studies Department proposed a class on Native American religion and spirituality. A full complement of students registered. But well before classes began, a small contingent of Native American students and allies pasted bright red posters on buildings on campus, reviling the course as harmful, intrusive, and disrespectful, and attacking the instructor who was young, white, and not on a tenure track. He had an academic background in this field, and has modeled his course on that of his mentor, who is a well-known professor and member of the Choctaw Nation. The administration declined to challenge the student protesters, had the instructor submit to sessions of radical listening with the protesters, and the Religious Studies Department dropped the class. All of this is disgusting and terrible, but it does not matter. The New York Times still treats the original story as worthwhile of respect, which it turned out to be crap, by the way. The janitor, is the one who's the actual victim in this story. The janitor, who was in his 60s and poor of sight, was emptying garbage cans when he noticed someone in a closed lounge. All involved with the summer camp were required to have state background checks and campus police had advised staff it was wisest to call security rather than confront strangers on its own. The janitor dialed security. The janitor did not notice, did not note the lady's race. Miss Canute was in the shadows. He was not sure if he was looking at a man or a woman. Later, Canute would accuse the janitor of misgendering her. A well-known older campus security officer drove over to the dorm, recognized Canute as a student. They had a brief and polite conversation, which she recorded. He apologized for bothering her. She spoke to him of her discomfort. That night she wrote a Facebook post and the college took it so seriously that they basically decided they were gonna can everybody involved. I mean, all of this is just indicative of where we are as a society. It's indicative of how our society works. And it's terrible. Again, it's, it's, it's just insanity. Okay, the, the, the treatment of the story as anything remotely approaching realistic is insanity. Three weeks after the incident at Tyler House, Miss Blair, a cafeteria worker, received an email from a reporter at the Boston Globe asking her to comment on why she called security for Miss Canute for eating while black. This puzzled her. What did she have to do with anything? The next morning, the food services director called. Jackie, he said, you're on Facebook. Canute had posted her name, photograph, and email along with the janitor's name, photograph, and email. Canute said that Blair was the racist and said that the janitor was also a racist. Blair has lupus. She felt faint. She lives with her husband a mechanic and makes 40 grand a year. Smith put out a short statement noting that Blair had not placed the phone call to security, but did not absolve her of broader responsibility. Somebody at the administration called. The ca- Again, this is like an unrelated cafeteria worker who's now getting death threats because of all of this. But don't worry, this is just about the tension between some people's version of truth and, you know, the truth. Okay, so here's the thing. This is now bled over into every element of our society because the narrative matters more than the fact, which is why Amazon has now put in place an actual digital book-burning policy. According to Emily Zanotti over at dailywire.com, internet mega retailer Amazon appears to have quietly updated an internal rule, just the news reports, eliminating an exemption for books and periodicals from its site-wide policy against selling items that contain or promote hate speech. The rule change might have gone unnoticed, except that a conservative author posted on social media that Amazon had ended its own sales of his book on transgenderism and barred third parties from even selling the work on Amazon. This, of course, would be our friend Ryan Anderson. Ryan was on the show yesterday talking about his book, When Harry Became Sally, which is a very thoughtful examination of gender dysphoria and the mental problems associated therewith. The book calls for tolerance for people who suffer from gender dysphoria, which, of course, is the humane, decent and just thing to do. Does not matter. The book has been pulled down. Why? Because Amazon now has the same sort of policies as Smith. It doesn't matter if the book is true. It matters if the book offends someone. They have a hate speech policy now. And that hate speech that hate speech policy from the largest retailer of ideas on planet Earth, because that's what Amazon is. When you're talking about the largest bookseller on planet Earth, that is the largest retailer of ideas on the planet. Right? People like me, my last couple of books have sold literally hundreds of thousands of copies on Amazon. And they make many of the same claims that Ryan Anderson makes. So, Amazon, if you want to come after me, note that I make many of the same claims that Ryan Anderson makes because that is what the science says, that there is such a thing as a dichotomous sexual difference between male and female in the human mammal. Okay, that that is just a reality of science. Amazon pulled down the book. Just the news notes, sometime before this week, When it removed from its digital shelves a book critical of transgender ideology, Amazon altered its content policy to explicitly forbid books that promote hate speech, a major rule change that could be used to rationalize actions against a broad range of books sold by the digital retail giant. Amazon yanked When Harry Became Sally from its main web store, its Kindle servers, and its audiobook lineup with no explanation. The policy under which When Harry Became Sally was booted now reads, we don't sell certain content, including content we determine is hate speech. The Washington Free Beacon notes that the rule change appears inconsistent across Amazon seller guidelines, suggesting the change was recent and that Amazon has yet to bring the full site into compliance. According to the Free Beacon, the company's content guidelines previously contained no mention of hate speech. In an apparent contradiction, to Amazon's Seller Central page on offensive and controversial materials currently exempts books because they don't want to appear to be, you know, burning books. But now they've changed it. And so, they are essentially engaging in digital book bannings, which is the same thing as a digital book burning. By the way, this is now extending to other corporations. According to the Twitter account, Woke we'll All Distance, Target has now removed The End of Gender by Dr. Debrasseau, so, who is not a conservative. That is a book, again, about gender ideology and its lies. They've removed Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. Again, you remember Target did this a few months ago and then, and then decided to, uh, to walk it back. Okay, so Target back down last time. But again, this is the fact. Okay, we are now in a world where publishing companies are canceling people preemptively. We are now in a world where booksellers are banning books. Okay, All based on this notion that the people who live next door to you are your enemy. They are your enemy. Because the only reason that you would stand up to the liberal agenda is of course because you're racist. Now, I believe politically this really began under the Obama administration. You can see the polling data on this. The polling data is that Americans thought race relations were getting significantly better all the way up till Barack Obama took office and then they started to plummet. By the way, that includes the first few months of the Obama administration when Americans were, I think, justly excited about the fact that we had a black president. Like, I think it's very good that America has had a black president because again, it demonstrates that Americans, it does. It is evidence that Americans are not super racist to have a black president is a sign that you are not systematically obje- objecting to the idea of black people in power, right? Which would be a racist idea. I was not excited that the black person who happened to be in power was Barack Obama, who is a radical leftist, but I understand why Americans were excited about that, of course. Okay, but Barack Obama then proceeded to polarize Americans along political lines because he didn't come along and say, we're all, Amer-. he didn't actually repeat the messages that he gave in 2004 at that famous DNC speech, right? We're all Americans. Black Americans, white Americans, red and blue are all the same. He didn't do that. That's not what he did. Instead, Barack Obama very quickly transmuted into a president who suggested that anybody who opposed to any element of, ag- of his agenda was doing so because they were a covert racist. Maybe a white nationalist. You never know. So Barack Obama on with Bruce Springsteen. Remember that time Bruce Springsteen cut an ad that was supposed to be about coming to the center of the country and we were going to find moderation and all of us on the right laughed at the ad because Bruce Springsteen is a partisan Democrat. Yeah, now he's doing a podcast with Barack Obama. So, yeah, I think probably we're right on that. Anyway, Barack Obama does a podcast with Bruce Springsteen. Don't worry, guys. Also, Barack Obama is a very serious human being. He isn't in any way just a, a celebrity hound. He is he is a he, he's not somebody who's ever pursued the spotlight, Barack Obama. He's just a humble public servant, Barack Obama, who does podcasts with Bruce Springsteen, one of the great minds of our time. Here's Barack Obama explaining to Bruce Springsteen on their joint podcast that. The only reason that people opposed his agenda was basically because they were racist. What I saw during my presidency was that the politics of white resistance and resentment made the prospect of actually proposing any kind of coherent, meaningful reparations program struck me as politically... Not only a non-starter, but potentially counterproductive. Okay, so there's Barack Obama saying, I would have done slavery and racial reparations, except for those evil white supremacists who are on the other side of the aisle. Right? He he literally says it's about white resistance. It's not about many Americans are unhappy with the idea that you are going to be giving benefits solely on the basis of race, because that's violative of not only the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, but in fact, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, legally speaking. You are not allowed to give benefits on the basis of race. That is banned by federal law. That is discrimination. Okay, but that's not the problem for Barack Obama. The problem is all of his enemies were people who actually were just secretly a little white supremacist, right? It was white resistance. It was all about white resistance, which is why you see in that poll of Democrats, what is their second priority? Fighting white nationalism. Again, they don't know that white nationalism has a very specific meaning. When they hear white nationalism, they just think white resistance in the way that Barack Obama just suggested. And that means Donald Trump supporters. Okay, all of which has led to the sort of reactionary polarization that you've seen on the right side of the aisle because Donald Trump came along and he said, I'm not going to listen to any of these narratives. I don't believe any of these narratives that you're you're saying. And the left immediately labeled him a white nationalist after spending decades pumping him up as a major figure in American life. Suddenly, he became a vicious racist. They put him on NBC. He was the Apprentice guy. He was appearing at the Emmy Awards. And suddenly, he was a vicious racist the moment he came down that elevator. And everybody associated with him was a vicious racist. And... There And and therefore, what that drove the right to was, okay, the reason that you hate him is because you hate us, which is kind of true. Right? Notice, Democrats are not worried about Donald Trump. They're worried about Donald Trump supporters, you, right? Or even if you didn't vote for Donald Trump, people who oppose them, more broadly speaking. We're going to get to that in just one second, because that leads to an interesting political analysis from Cook Political about the future of the Republican Party and what Kind of Trump support represents. And I think this is a correct analysis. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about getting healthy. So there's a lot of contradictory information out there about how you get healthy. Well, here's the thing. If you want to get healthy and stay healthy, you need to know about how you make decisions because people will go on short-term diets and then the diets fall apart and they're bouncing around in terms of weight. That's actually really not healthy. Instead, what you need to do is change your long-term habits. Based in science, built by psychologist Noom doesn't give you rules. Instead, they teach you how to think so you can accomplish your personal health goals, stick with them long-term, and get healthy for good. It's rooted in psychology, and Noom teaches you why you make the decisions you do, gives you the tools to replace your habits with even healthier ones. Noom's cognitive behavioral approach means you're not just improving your health, you're gaining the knowledge and habits you need to stay healthy. Everyone's busy, that's why Noom doesn't demand much time at all. They ask for 10 minutes a day. Over 80% of Noomers finished the program. Over 60% have stuck with their goals for at least one year. I have used Noom myself in order to get in better shape. My wife is using Noom right now. There's a science to getting healthier. It is called Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash Shapiro. Learn how to get healthy with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash Shapiro. If you're ready to learn how to live healthier, sign up for Noom today. Noom dot com slash Shapiro to get started. It really does work. I've used it myself, so I can attest. Noom dot com slash Shapiro. Alrighty, in just a second, we're going to get to the the Republican Party and what the continued support for Trump actually means in real terms. First, for anyone who hasn't heard, we are launching a new show. It is exclusively for Daily Wire members. If you're just a person who normally downloads the podcast, you're not going to have access to the show unless you actually become a Daily Wire member. There's a simple, highly, highly effective rule for making a good argument. Don't build it on a fallacy. This is the first and the most important rule when it comes to developing a legit argument. For some reason, the left doesn't bother with that rule. We all know the reason, because many of their arguments are built on fallacies. That is why I will be exposing leftist fallacies every Friday in 15 minutes or less, exclusively to Daily Wire members on my new series, Debunked. Every week, I will take facts and logic and pit them against a popular leftist argument, the kind of thing you see your friends post and share all over the internet. And whether we are talking about gender dysphoria or whether you're talking about the Paris Climate Accords, I'm gonna help you completely dismantle leftist arguments. So... If you aren't already a Daily Wire member, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code DEBUNKED to get 25% off. The first episode is dropping soon, so head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe today. Use code DEBUNKED to get that new show and 25% off your membership. Again, dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code DEBUNKED for 25% off and join the team over here at The Daily Wire. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So here is the thing. When you have one side of the political aisle that deems everybody else on the other side of the political aisle a white supremacist and the real problem with America, it should not be a surprise when people resonate to whoever is the figurehead that you have chosen as the font of all evil, right? As the as the figurehead of all evil. And this is what Cook Political Report says today. Amy Walter has a good piece about this. She says, the degree to which folks continue to view American politics through the Trump prism is both understandable and frustrating. On the one hand, despite losing the election, the former president has remained an omnipresent figure in our daily lives. He spent almost every day from November 3rd until January 20th attacking the integrity of the election, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trump will take the stage on Sunday in Orlando at the annual CPAC conference. Once again, the political conversation will revolve around GOP infighting and the challenge for Republican leaders like Mitch McConnell to put Trump in the rearview mirror. In an attempt to pre-butt that narrative, the National Republican Senatorial Committee Chairman Rick Scott sent out a memo on Tuesday declaring that while, quote, a parade of pundits and even Republican voices suggest we should have a GOP civil war, this does not need to be true, should not be true, and will not be true. But, says Amy Walter of Cook Political Report, again, not a Republican, it's important to remember we are only one month into Biden's first term. We are more than 20 months away from the midterm elections. Trump's role in 2022 could be a definitive issue issue in the next election, or it may not be. We need some perspective. History tells us Democrats will have a tough time holding on to their already narrow House majority next year. Only once in more than 80 years has the party in the White House not lost seats in a first term, midterm election. A midterm election is not a contest contest between two different visions for America. It is a referendum on the sitting president and his party. The party out of power is not unified by in what they are for, but what they are against, namely the other side's policies. And here's the thing. The Democratic Party is performing like an opposition party right now. They're in power, but they're performing like an opposition party. They're not unified by actual ideology, as you can see by how they're attacking Joe Manchin, a moderate on the Democrat side. They They are unified as though Donald Trump were still in power. And Republicans right now, in large scale, are being unified Is also, though, Trump was still in power. But that's not the reality. The reality is that Trump is not in power. And what is going to unify Republicans is going to be eventually the recognition that the Democratic Party has decided to other the Republican Party. That the Democratic Party has decided to see them as the enemy, worthy of cancellation and worthy of destruction. That is what's going to unify the Republican Party. Trump was a figurehead for that because he was the person most targeted by that sort of material. But as time goes on, and he no longer is that, It's not going to be about Trump. But right now it is about Trump. And that's why it is such a mistake when you hear people like Liz Cheney say, you know, Trump shouldn't be the head of the party. It's all about, here's the thing. Trump was really never about Trump, okay? Like I understand why people loved him. I understand why people didn't like him. I have many ambivalent feelings about President Trump as a human, right? I've not been unclear about this, right? I've said over and over again that I think the man has significant character flaws. I criticized him when I thought that he deserved it. I liked a lot of his policies. It didn't mean that his character flaws didn't exist. But the reality is that the high levels of support for Trump are really about Republican solidarity in the face of a movement that seeks their utter and complete destruction and wiping away in American life. It would not matter, by the way, in that Democratic poll, if it said Donald Trump supporters or if it said Liz Cheney supporters for the Democratic Party, if you oppose their agenda, you are the opponent, you are the enemy. This is why Liz Cheney falling directly into this particular trap, talking about Trump as though Trump is still somehow the, a, a deeply important figure, as opposed to just the name of the guy who is the most recent president of the United States and who had the most Republican support? You're missing the point. It is not about Trump, because for a lot of Republicans, it was never about Trump. It was about them. That's why Trump had such high levels of support in the, inside the Republican Party in the first place. It's because, again, the attacks on Trump were perceived by Republicans in large measure, and in many cases, truthfully, as an attack on them. Trump was just the guy who was standing in the line of fire. So when Liz Cheney does this, I don't blame people for being angry at Liz Cheney. When she says, yeah, you know what? Trump shouldn't be the head of the, you're just falling for the democratic narrative. That's all you're doing. You're falling for the democratic narrative that Trump is the seminal figure in the Republican party and everything is about Trump personally. The universe never revolved around Trump. I understand the media wanted to make everything in the world about Trump. It wasn't. All of American politics did not begin and end with Donald Trump. It still doesn't. Right now, the fight of our time in terms of American politics is, will you lose your job? Not for quote unquote, supporting Trump. But for anything that crosses the left, it's an ever-shifting standard of moral uh, vacuity. Will you cross them accidentally? And then they'll hit you the same way they hate Trump. So here is this clip yesterday. This is, of course, the one that the media loved the most. This is the conflict inside the Republican Party. Liz Cheney saying that Trump shouldn't be the head of the party. Kevin McCarthy sort of suggesting that Trump is still a powerful figure inside the Republican Party. Uh, Like... I don't know if Liz Cheney here is going for the strange new respect, or what exactly is the point here. Um, but here's the clip. Do you believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, he should. Congresswoman Cheney, the, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and and the extent to which yes. following the extent to which following January 6th, uh, uh, I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country that high note? Thank you all very much. <laughs> <laughs> McCarthy's like, I can't believe she just did that. Like, by the way, her sentence could have just stopped right after that. It's up to CPAC, right? But the, the, the basic idea from Liz Cheney, the buying into the narrative that everything is about Trump is it's the narrative the media want. That's what the media want. They want to make it all about Trump because they see in Trump a great orange villain because Trump also has a habit of stepping on rakes. But let's be real about this. Again, it is not about Trump. It is about you. Okay, it is about who you work for. It is about your corporation coming after you. It is about whether they take your book down on Amazon. It's about whether you're a janitor at a college and you do your job and the college decides to fire you anyway. It's about whether your neighbor thinks that you're evil and a white nationalist because you voted for the guy who isn't Joe Biden. That's the conflict in American life. It was never about Trump and it's not about Trump right now. Okay, meanwhile, Andrew Cuomo's career finally seems to be falling apart. It is amazing that all it took was uh, Donald Trump losing an election for people to recognize that Andrew Cuomo is a bag of garbage. Some of us have been saying he's a bag of garbage for a year, longer than that, actually. But Lindsey Boylan, who's a former progressive sort of icon in New York, she has a long piece out over at medium.com talking about how Andrew Cuomo apparently routinely sexually harassed her. And, you know, I- I'm glad that she came out with this. Now it would have been much more useful had she, apparently this has been happening for years, It would been much more useful if she had come out about this earlier. And when I say useful, I mean, if you want to stop people who engage in alleged sexual predation, it would be great if you would come out when they in first engage in that. Again, I'm glad she's doing it now. But if you want to stop people from doing bad things, you should probably say so when they do the bad things. In any case, Lindsey Boylan says here, here's what she writes My story of working with Governor Cuomo. Let's play strip poker. I should have been shocked by the governor's crude comment, but I wasn't. We were flying home from an October 2017 event in Western New York on his taxpayer funded jet. He was seated facing me, so our clo- so close our knees almost touched. His press aide was to my right and a state trooper behind us. That's exactly what I was thinking. I responded sarcastically and awkwardly. I tried to play it cool, but in that moment, I realized just how acquiescent I had become. Governor Andrew Cuomo had created a culture within his administration where sexual harassment and bullying is so pervasive that it is not only condoned, but expected. His inappropriate behavior toward women was an affirmation that he liked you, that you must be doing something right. He used intimidation to silence his critics, and if you dared speak up, you would face consequences." That's why I panicked on the morning of December 13th. While enjoying a weekend with my husband and six-year-old daughter, I spontaneously decided to share a small part of the truth I had hidden for so long in shame and never planned to disclose. The night before, a former Cuomo staffer confided to me that she too had been the subject of the governor's workplace harassment. Her story mirrored my own. Seeing his name floated as a potential candidate for U.S. Attorney General set me off. In the next few tweets, I told the world what a few close friends, family members, and my therapist had known for years. Andrew Cuomo abused his power as governor to sexually harass me, just as he had done with so many other women. So what exactly did he do? Well, apparently she joined the state government in 2015 as VP at Empire State Development. She was quickly promoted to chief of staff. The news of her appointment prompted a warning from a friend. Be careful around the governor. She says, my first encounter with the governor came at a January 6th, 2016 event at Madison Square Garden to promote the new Pennsylvania Station Farley Complex project. After his speech, he stopped to talk to me. I was new on the job, surprised by how much attention he paid. My boss soon informed me the governor had a crush on me. It was an uncomfortable but all too familiar feeling. The struggle to be taken seriously by a powerful man who tied my worth to my body and my appearance, Stephanie Benton, director of the governor's office, told me in an email on December 14th, 2016, the governor suggested I look up images of Lisa Shields, his rumored former girlfriend, because, quote, we could be sisters and I was the better looking sister. The governor began calling me Lisa in front of colleagues. It was degrading. I complained to friends the governor would go out of his way to touch me on my lower back, arms, and legs. His senior staff began keeping tabs on my whereabouts. He's a sexist pig. You should avoid being alone with him, my mother texted me. The governor's behavior made me nervous. I didn't fear him until December 2016. Senior state employees gathered at the Empire State Plaza Convention Center in Albany to celebrate the holidays and our year's work. After his remarks, the governor spotted me in a room filled with hundreds of people waiting to shake my hand. As he began to approach me, I excused myself from coworkers and moved upstairs to a more distant area of the party. Minutes later, I received a call from an unlisted number. It was the governor's body person. He, he told me to come to the Capitol because the governor wanted to see me. I made my way through the underground connection that linked the plaza to the Capitol. As the black wrought iron elevator took me to the second floor, I called my husband. I told him I was afraid of what might happen. I exited the elevator. Cuomo walked me down the hall of governors. Are there cameras here? I asked him. I remembered my mo- mother's text warning the month before. I worried I would be left alone with the governor. I didn't know why I was there or how, I, how it would end. He brought her into the governor's office, apparently, closed the door. He paused at one point and smirked as he showed off a cigar box. He told me President Clinton had given it to him. The governor must have sensed my fear because he finally let me out of the office. At least he didn't try to touch her. But in 2018, she was promoted to deputy secretary for economic development and special advisor to the governor. And apparently at one point, he, uh, he was they were in his New York City office. And as she got up to leave and walked toward an open door, he stepped in front of me and kissed me on the lips. I was in shock but I kept walking. She started to get nauseous at work every day. Okay, so here's the bottom line. This is the kind of account that would finish a Republican politician, right? Well, Cuomo has denied it. And I hope that Andrew Cuomo receives all of the due process of law when these sorts of allegations come up, as he has been so richly in favor of giving to Republicans like Brett Kavanaugh. I hope he receives all due process of law here. We deserve to hear Andrew Cuomo's side of the story because facts do matter. I'll just note that I believe all women would suggest that at this point, Andrew Cuomo should be out of a job. And uh, more and more, it seems like that may actually happen because he has outlived his usefulness to the Democratic Party. All right. Well, we'll be here later today with an additional hour of The Ben Shapiro Show. Be sure to check out The Matt Wall Show. It airs today at 1.30 p.m. Eastern over at DailyWire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Klavan Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Krams. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2021. The Outrage Mob wants me canceled for criticizing the LGBT indoctrination of children. Marjorie Taylor Greene is being called a transphobe for defending biological science. West Virginia moves to ban critical race theory. And the cruise industry starts to institute vaccine requirements for passengers. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First.